happy pitchers and catchers day slash week. Happy, happy day, Sam. Happy day. Happy spring. Yeah, finally. You know, happy spring to us all. There's optimism. There's hope in the air. This is this is what baseball is about, and uh, it feels good. For many of you, it'll be crushed very soon. Like the end of April, you'll realize your team is just going nowhere. But hey, that's what baseball's about, man. <laughs> it's exciting. For now, soak up as much often. <laughs> So welcome in. It is the show before the show podcast. My name is Tyler Mon. I'm in Denver, Colorado. In New York City is Sam Dykstra. And uh, back for another edition. This week's edition of the show is, uh, what number are we at? 46 now? Holy 46. Cow. 46. Uh, welcome in. Pitchers and catchers start reporting today. We are recording on the 17th of February. Teams will round out sort of through the weekend. Pitchers and catchers. These deadlines, these report dates kind of fluid because most guys are there ahead of time anyway so it's not like all of a sudden there's 900 flights going into phoenix or orlando or wherever and all these pitchers and catchers are getting off and they're ready to go so many of these guys are already there but still ceremonial or not this is the most exciting day of the early part of a year yeah i really wish there was now a ribbon cutting ceremony that every pitcher and catcher was lined up, you know, in their <laughs> gear, their tools of the trade, what have you, rushing to cut the line. But then you have, like, you know, Hanley Ramirez reported today he's neither a pitcher nor a catcher unless the Red Sox are doing something weird with him again and moving him out of left field to behind the plate that I don't know of. So, yeah, it's fluid, but, you know, we'll take we'll take whatever we can get. So here's what we have coming up on the 46th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Really excited to talk to Chicago Cubs prospect Wilson Contreras, who will join the show. Venezuelan-born catching prospect who is the top catcher in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline's rankings heading into the 2016 season. Wilson Contreras will join the show. Really excited for that conversation. Benjamin Hill will join the show as well. We had one uh, very late logo refresh announcement this week, so we'll get to that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, a fun promotion that's going on off-season-wise in Omaha right now, a promotion that will be coming up in July in Bowling Green, and the assorted fun chat that we have every week with uh, with Benjamin Hill. And uh, as always, you can find the show before the show podcast rocketing up the iTunes baseball charts. Uh, you can find us there, iTunes podcast. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show before the show there. Um, leave us your comments, your questions, your thoughts. Uh, and you can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast. Oh, there we go. Got it all out. Um, <laughs> so let's dive in. Strike one uh, for episode number 46 of the show is in honor of pitchers and catchers report day. Sam, you came up with this question, which I love. Give me a battery that you were excited for in the minor leagues in 2016. The way we are framing this <laughs> pun. Oh, there um, it is. oh man, like that it. was, that was Ben Hill esque. Yeah. That was a pretty good, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> the way, the way we were putting this is a pitcher and catcher who are likely to work together in the minors this season. So not, I'm really excited about this kid who's at rookie level last year. And this catcher who's in triple a guys who are likely going to work together this season, who are you excited to see? Yeah, so my mind immediately went to the Pirate system just because they have two really, really good catchers. Um, but yeah, once we frame it this way and that we want two guys who are going to actually play together, you know, as much as we like Reese McGuire, he's a friend of the podcast, appeared here back in the fall. Um, as much as I really, really like him defensively as well, uh, I don't see him starting out the year at AAA Indianapolis with uh, Tyler Glass now. So I'm really excited to see Glass now work with Elias Diaz, uh, who's a guy who um, played at AAA Indianapolis last year. Looks like he's going to be squeezed out of the Pirates' you know, rotation behind the plate again this year, at least to start. Um, Francisco Cervelli is obviously going to be there at the top of the list, one of the best defensive catchers in the game. Chris Stewart's going to be behind him. Uh, but Diaz is a very, very good option to have in the Pirate system. He's got a really, really good arm. MLB.com grades it out as a 65 arm on that 20-day scale. Uh, his fielding ability is lagging a little behind, but he still has some pretty good game-calling skills. He, he works really well with pitchers. Somebody like Glass now, that, that'll be great for the two of them, um, working with guys who certainly look like they have major league potential right now. Um, I don't really have to talk much about Glass now. I don't think I think anybody listening knows about his potential. Um, knows that he is one of the top right-handed prospects in the game. Um, it's pretty much between him and Lucas Giolito uh, for that mantle. Um, but Diaz is a guy. He's 25. Um, a little bit old to be a prospect, but still has all the right tools. 
um, is on a 40-man roster, so could get that call at any time. Um, that'll be exciting to watch, you know, this year in the IL, just how those two play off each other. I uh, am actually going to stay in the same state, and I'm going to go to the Pittsburgh or to the Philadelphia Phillies organization. We're already with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, <laughs> Jorge Alfaro was a trade acquisition uh, of the Phillies back in July in the Cole Hamels trade. Now Alfaro missed the majority of last season following ankle surgery, but there is a chance that he could open with one or both of these guys, or neither, but will likely join them. At some point, uh, the number two and number three prospects in the Phillies system right now are Mark Appel, who spent last year at AAA in the Houston Astros organization uh, for about half the season, and also a double A in the Astros system as well. Of course, helped lead Fresno to a AAA championship, a PCL championship. Uh, Mark Appel could compete for a major league rotation job, probably not out of spring training. So more than likely, we're going to see him at Lehigh Valley for a little while. Um, and Jake Thompson, who uh, was uh, in the Rangers system with Jorge Alfa. But the thing that intrigues me about especially a potential Appel-Alfaro combination is both guys, I don't want to say are at the crossroads, but are reaching a point in their careers where I think everybody really wants to see a big step forward. Alfaro was on kind of the doorstep of doing that last year when the injury struck. Started off pretty well with Texas's AA affiliate in Frisco, uh, 253 average, 746 OPS last season, homered five times, drove in 21, then had the surgery and missed the rest of the season. Um, Appel looked very good at stretches last year, but has not reached the ceiling that I think most everybody projected for him when he came out of Stanford. So if both of those guys are in the same place at the same time, and again, Alfaro coming off the injury is going to be a little bit slower to make the AAA level. Uh, I think it'd be really cool to see the way that they work together, both sort of needing that complementary piece uh, in a battery that I think each could provide for the other. That just is laden with uh, some really intriguing possibilities. Uh, Thompson, a lot more familiarity with Alfaro, and that could go a long way as well. Two guys who could work together in 2016 who already have that comfort level with each other. Um, but that, to me, stands out because Alfaro has all the tools in the world. Can he get those all put together finally and stay healthy? Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I was thinking the same thing when you started about that Appel-Alfaro pairing and how that could either you know be rocket fuel for the two of them or drag them both down right. into basically non-prospect status. But we should add that it, it can be done with these guy with these catchers who you think it's it's been a while. Um, you know, either this is going to be a make or break year for them. Gary Sanchez was that guy last year, and now he's ranked one spot above Alfaro in MLB.com's ranking of catching prospects. It's Contreras 1, Gary Sanchez 2, and Jorge Alfaro 3. So Alfaro certainly has a chance to put it all together this year. Um, I think the Phillies would love to see him put together a Sanchez-esque season. Um, and, and with those other guys, as you mentioned, the other guys coming over in the Rangers deal, um, he has a, a group surrounding him that will help him, I think, with that kind of rebuilding of his status. Let's move on to strike two, and we're going to uh, change up topics because one of the guys who could have been included in strike one is a guy we're going to talk about in strike two. Jacob Nottingham traded once more, uh, this time from the Oakland Athletics to the Milwaukee Brewers, the catcher slash first base prospect. It's the second trade in basically six and a half months for him. He could have been in that conversation. Kind of depends on where he will land and where some pitchers will land going into 2016, but does he get to catch Jorge Lopez? Does Cody Medeiros kind of climb quicker and join him at some point this season? Uh, but Jacob Nottingham dealt again uh we had a, a prospect Q&A with him just a couple of weeks ago that uh really reflected back on the trade that sent him from the Astros to the A's now he's gone again so this is uh a prospect who is coveted and yet a piece that has been moved around multiple times now over the last uh, handful of months I mean how do you look at this trade now going into 2016 really quick turnaround time for him to join a new system yeah, I mean, it's a much better time to do it in the offseason, I suppose, than it, it is during the, the season at deadline day when I think there was that picture of him last year. He was walking uh, from the Lancaster dugout to the Stockton dugout. Um, yeah, traded while those two teams, those two affiliates were playing each other. Right. Now he just has to buy a different plane ticket, I guess, to go to spring training. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting with him and in, in the fact, as you mentioned, um, you know, does this mean he's a wanted quantity or that the – more teams learn about him, the more they decide that he's kind of expendable. Um, I, I, I lean towards the former. I think he really improved his stock last year. 
uh, hit 316, 372, 505, 17 homers, you know, and really his first full season, um, as I mentioned, finished out the year in the Cal League, which obviously helped his numbers a little bit. Um, but as a guy who all the reports seem to be that he is starting to catch on behind the plate, pun intended, uh, he is starting to... We are killing it with the pun game I know, today. I know. Killing it. Literally killing game. it. We can't make any more catching jokes. <laughs> Uh, he was, there was some question early on in his career, whether he was going to be a first baseman or a catcher, uh, got some work at first base last year, but he has said himself that he really, really wants to be a catcher. And it sounds like the work is starting to at least pay off. Um, we'll see what, how he kind of fits in that brewer system. Uh, he'll be probably starting the year, double a Biloxi. That'll, that'll be a real good challenge for him, at least offensively while he continues that defensive work. So I, I think he's a guy who, you know, you look at some top 100 lists. We're just about to talk to, to this um, ourselves in a little bit. Some people think he is a legit uh, top 100 prospect right now. Baseball prospectus had him at number 66, which is incredibly high. Uh, so I think this is more just teams wanting him in their system and seeing how far his bat can travel rather than him just being a discarded piece. He is reunited in that system with Brett Phillips, another former Astros prospect, uh, and it kind of transitions us into strike three. That is one of the systems that has climbed very, very quickly out of sort of the doldrums maybe two, three years ago in systems that were not exactly laden with talent. The Brewers have really reshaped their system recently. Philadelphia Phillies have done the same. We talked about them. The Atlanta Braves have been the same way. Uh, But across the spectrum now, Top 100 prospect lists and uh, top organization rankings have pretty much been released by every major publication. MLB Pipeline, of course, uh, who we use for all of our numbers, all of our rankings. Uh, but ESPN's rankings, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, they're all out. Um, Sam, what are some of the, the names, some of the movers this year, risers, fallers, guys who really surprise you as to either how highly they're regarded or maybe some guys who have fallen off the radar a little bit? What stands out to you about this initial 2016 pegging of where everybody is yeah the thing that kind of um, stood out I, I, I started to kind of put some of the list together just to compare um put them in a nice little spreadsheet and one thing that is interesting to me is the disagreement on Carson Fulmer uh first round pick last year by the White Sox out yes. of Vanderbilt um highly regarded right-handed pitcher um but it comes down to whether you view his future as a pretty good starter or as an elite reliever uh, ESPN's Keith Law, I believe somebody asked him in a chat, you know, why don't you have Carson Fulmer ranked? Uh, he was a high draft pick. You know, shouldn't he be automatically considered? And he said, I, I view him as a future reliever. And because relievers tend to not have the impact as starting pitchers, I just chose to not rank him at all, um, which is very interesting. Uh, he put him just, he put him in a post later saying he was just outside the top 100. So he could be a very, very good reliever, but seeing the way law doesn't believe that he is a uh, future starter. Um, I think the white Sox would really, really like him to be a starter. The more and more you read, um, I think, you know, I, I personally believe he, he's going to get as much rope there as he can. Um, I think he definitely has the potential to be a good two or three starter. I'm not willing to back off and say he's going to be a reliever right now. We'll see what happens in his first full season. Probably going to start off at uh, Birmingham after getting some time at high a Winston Salem, but it's just interesting to see the the split in the prospect community on him. And one more ranking that just really surprised me, took me back, um, was A.J. Reed coming at, in at number 11 on Baseball America's list. I mean, we, we really love A.J. Reed. Another good friend of the podcast was on here back when uh, just after the season ended. And, you know, he had a really breakout year last year, was our you know offensive player of the year. Did everything well at high A Lancaster and double A uh, Corpus Christi. And Baseball America rewarded him with that, you know, very, very well. They had him as a higher uh, higher ranked prospect than Steven Matz, who did really well in the majors last year with, for the Mets over a brief time, you know, with some injuries. Higher than Lewis Brinson, who had a breakout year with the Rangers. Higher than Dansby Swanson, who was the top overall pick by the D-backs since traded to the Braves. So they're very high on him as a guy um, who they think you know could be a plus-plus bat in the majors. I'm not necessarily high enough to put him number 11. I like A.J. I think he, you know, 
he will be an asset to the Astros going forward. Could certainly be their starting first baseman, you know, when they have a big hole there now. But, you know, given his limitations to first base, given that he's not a great runner, not necessarily a great defender, has a great arm because he used to be a pitcher, but that's not going to be a huge help to him at first. I don't know if I'm willing to put him that high, um, but we'll, we'll see whether he can hold up to that reputation. That's what's really interesting about the, these rankings. There are a lot of guys, including some pretty highly ranked guys who draw out vastly different evaluations from publication to publication and writer to writer. I mean, guys who are ranked in the top 10 in certain ranking lists are way, way back in the top 100s and others. The one that really stood out to me that was kind of an outlier, uh, and maybe it's just because of where I'm located, but John Gray, who comes into the 2016 season um, as what most people would assume uh, a focal point of the Colorado Rockies Major League rotation, is ranked pretty much mid-30s in terms of his prospect status throughout baseball in every publication except for, again, Keith Law of ESPN, who did not rank him at all. So it's kind of similar to the Fulmer conversation where this is a guy who everybody else sees as big things coming out of, and Keith Law does not agree with that assessment at all his argument is that the Rockies messed with his delivery cost him a lot of his power cost him some miles an hour on his fastball zero deception in that delivery also sees a future in the bullpen for John Gray so it's one of those things where everybody seems to be on board with one thing and then here's a different uh, perspective on it that is vastly um, wildly different from everybody else Um, I also thought it was interesting the way that nobody seems to be able to pin down Dansby Swanson Um, we see him as a top 10 prospects in some systems uh, or in some publications He's also kind of middle of the pack for top 100 and others. Now that I think is due in large part to the fact that we haven't seen a full professional season out of him yet. So this year we'll really get a beat on Dansby Swanson and where he is going to be going forward. But more than anything, what this shows all of us is how difficult it is to forecast this talent. Um, The only thing that maybe is tougher than projecting success for prospects is projecting the draft. I mean, that's about like the only step that you can go to where it gets even more difficult to evaluate how these guys are going to be as professionals, as major leaguers. It's not easy to nail this down. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting There are a handful of systems, and uh, Baseball America actually put together a really interesting story on this. They have four organizations not ranked in their top 100 at all. Uh, The Angels, the Mariners, the Marlins, and the Orioles do not have a single prospect in the top 100, and there's some really interesting discussion as to what that generally means going forward for organizations that lack that top-level talent, and that's pretty rare. Uh, Throughout the entirety of their rankings, I think only eight organizations had not made it into the top 100 and that was from 1999 through 2015 this year four in total uh for 2016 so there are some systems that definitely need uh an infusion of talent that haven't gotten it so far and a couple of teams that you know have really swept a lot of that talent away you think about the angels and the trades they made this offseason uh shipping a guy like sean newcomb away um so that is uh you know it's not necessarily a rich getting richer and a poor getting poorer but there are some teams that really need some help in the minor leagues that are trending the totally opposite direction yeah and just to go back to your point too about uh in terms of these lists and how there's just such a difference in opinion on this kind of stuff. Um, what The way I like to think about it is if you asked anybody to rank their top 100 major leaguers right now, you would get widely vast, Good point. vastly different uh, lists to begin with anyways. And that we have hard data. We know exactly what these major leaguers are like. This is taking what we think they might be like and then trying to rank them that way. So it's taking you know completely subjective opinions a lot of these based on fact or numbers or um, scouting reports, which are subjective in their own right, and then other subjective lists. So it's really interesting to me when there is actually solid consensus. Um, and there was across the board with Corey Seager as your top prospect and Byron Buxton as your number two. Um, three of the four lists had Lucas Giolito number three. Um, the only difference being Baseball America, which had Yohan Mankata at number three. So when there is consensus, I find that vastly um, or extremely interesting that we can get a, a group of people who disagree on so much to agree at the guys at the top. So 
That will wrap up three strikes for this week. Uh, we've been testing out something at the end of this segment for the last couple of weeks, which I came up with a very clever name for this week. So uh, now we're going to move into the foul balls segment of three strikes. Uh, Hold your applause. Hold keeps, your applause. Which keeps the count alive. Although it doesn't keep the count alive after three strikes, so I guess it's kind of a moot point. Um, but that is uh, <laughs> that is where we're headed. Um, across the world of minor league baseball this week, uh, we've rolled out some non-roster invitation stories. We continue to do Q&As. Um, there's a really good one up with Ozzy Albies from the Atlanta Braves organization today, who is kind of one of the latest um, Curacao-born future studs as it looks at the major league level. Ozzy Albies a shortstop in the Atlanta Braves organization. Um, but prospect projections have also wrapped up. National League West rookies, uh, the last ones to come out this week. Sam, I know that's been a whole bear of work for you, but uh, last couple of weeks have been the West divisions across the American and National Leagues. Yeah, so we wrap that up. Obviously, Corey Seager's at the top there. Um, some surprising projections, at least on my end, for Jose De Leon, uh, as well as Clayton Blackburn in the in the Giant system, um, and John Gray looks really good in Steamer too. So, um, if you're a fan of an NOS team, go over and check those out. Um, see how some of your favorite prospects would be projected to do over a full season if they were to get the chance. And that wraps that up. So my next project is farm system rankings um, starting next week when I'm going to be doing my own little rankings of uh, all the individual farm systems starting out with batting and or I should say position players and then uh, moving on to pitching. Nothing stops for Sam. All of our big projects, Sam's on them. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where my uh, off season has been spent. And Tyler, I know you you did a really really interesting story about a guy making the most out of his second chance as a guy who used to work at uh, fast food restaurants and call centers and the like. You know, we'll cut, talk a little bit about your uh, Steve Namark story. Yeah, this is. Uh, I was really excited to tell this story um, because it kind of goes beyond just our our standard baseball specific stories. Uh, Steve Namark was the 40th round selection of the Astros last year, um, and the 40th round is also known as the last round. Um, a <laughs> 1129th overall, I believe, was uh, Steve's draft position. And um, this was a cool story because this is a kid who nobody else would likely give a chance to. Uh, there were discussions that I had with him and with some of the people who had known him in his baseball life. There were a couple other teams that may have been interested in him, but nobody else called on draft day. Didn't really look like he was going to be a professional baseball player. Then all of a sudden, at 25 years old, Steve Namark joins the Astros organization, makes it through four levels last year, and is set for a second pro season this year. Uh, the reason for that delay is kind of a crazy story, and it's up on the site right now. It's the longest story I think I've written for, for the site by far because there was so much to tell. But basically, long story short, Steve Namark was ready to go to college, uh, to Central Arizona College to play college baseball once he graduated from Tucson Mountain View High School in 2008. Um, his scholarship fell through. A new coaching staff came in, told him he wasn't really in their plans. And for four years, he kicked around not really doing anything. And he's the first one to admit it. Uh, worked at Taco Bell, left and worked at a Verizon call center. Hated that so much he went back to Taco Bell, went to a different call center where he was working uh, in conjunction with a health care or a health insurance company. Um, a really tough story that he tells in there about the day when he had to tell uh, a cancer patient's husband about the price of the medication that she would need. Neither of them had insurance. He left that job, went to work at McDonald's. And one night, a former teammate of his in high school uh, came through the drive through ordered from Steve, told him he was headed out to Florida. He had a minor league uh, position with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was going back for, I think, his second pro season at that point. Uh, and Steve, at that point in 2012, at 22 years old, said, I got to get back to this. I got to figure this out somehow. Started throwing basically in a rec league, in a men's league, uh, a national collegiate baseball league, kind of an off-season summer thing for guys of college age. Happened to be spotted there by a JUCO coach, and things took off. Played two years in junior college, one year at Angelo State, and at 25 was taken in the Astros system. And last year, four levels, 1.47 combined ERA. Really cool story. And the thing that was neatest about this to me was seeing the way that people who know him embraced it on social media. Uh, the San Angelo baseball program, the head coach uh, tweeted it out. Out. assistant coaches tweeted it out um, people that you could tell had played with Steve at certain stops in his career he's one of those guys who the second you talk to him you understand why everybody loves him a really really interesting kid a really bright kid great for me to get a chance to talk to him and uh, one of the the more uh, unlikely stories in pro ball this year and I'll be fascinated to see where he starts because he's at the age where he should be 
really probably at least in Corpus Christi. Um, so if he gets started there and gets the chance to, to maybe climb to Fresno this year, it'd be really cool to see uh, what he can do at the higher levels of the minor leagues at 25 and, and being a lefty who throws strikes. So um, fun story to get a chance to tell. Yeah, and even to get as far as he has as a 40th round pick. Yes. I, I mean, even to a full season level, never mind two, um, as short as time they were. Um, is a, a success story in itself. So, Pretty really amazing. interesting. Be sure to check that out, people at home, if you're uh, if you're near a computer. It's all up at milb.com right now. And coming up next on the 46th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the top catching prospect in all of baseball, Wilson Contreras of the Chicago Cubs, joins the show. excited for our guest this week on the latest edition of the minor league baseball podcast one of the real rocket fire guys in the chicago cubs organization who had a breakout 2015 season catcher wilson Contreras joins the show wilson how's the offseason how are you uh good my my offseason was good not in minnesota spending time with my family and getting ready for a spring so you get to go home, spend a little time with your family, um, and I know that uh, you've seen some time playing in the winter leagues in Venezuela and stuff. You also played in the Arizona Fall League uh, this past fall for Mesa and got some really good experience there, um, and that was on the back of a really, really good year with Tennessee. Um, 2015 is huge for you, and now that you're getting set for spring training, um, how much momentum, I mean, how excited are you coming off of a season like you had last year? I mean, I have no words of playing. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in the 40-man roster with the Cubs. So I'm thankful. I, I'm thankful with the Cubs for giving me the opportunity to play every day last year. And uh, I did what I was supposed to do. I just learned from the winter league, the 2014 season, and I put it on practice. And Wilson, what kind of work went into last year? You know, your your numbers across the board made a big jump. Uh, it sounded like your defensive work uh, really improved behind the plate. What what work went into last year that made you, you know, make those jumps? Uh, uh, home play, my my I changed my approach. I, I started studying the the pitcher. I started uh, working the counts, looking for my, looking for my pitch to drive the ball to opposite field or got to bats. And behind the plate was um I will I will start I will start. While we working with the pitcher, start talking to them, and we just start going in the in the same pace. So that make the big the big difference. Yeah, and, and you mentioned playing behind the plate, you know, working with pitchers, that kind of thing. It's, it seems like previously in your career, uh, the Cubs have moved around you around a lot, some third base, some first base, even some outfield. Uh, you know, how comfortable are you now behind the plate as a catcher? I mean, I feel like to be a home, I feel too comfortable as a catcher. I like my position. I like to be, to stay focused. And now I'm I'm in the spot where I have to put my myself in a good and a good way to to the big league. So I'm working hard, I'm still working and working and everything. So I'm I'm a hard worker, and um, I'm here now. Uh, working on my, uh, still working on my defense with uh, Mike Porcello and Kim Cousins, they will help me, help me a lot. Wilson, last summer you were already in the middle of a really good season, um, and in early August last year, I know Miguel Montero came down, spent about four games with you guys, um, and I remember talking to uh, to Ryan Williams for a story that we did last year about a really good start that he had, and he said one of the things uh, that really helped him was getting a chance to talk to Miguel Montero, hear kind of the opinion of a guy who had made it to the major leagues and all that kind of stuff. Being able to work with someone like Miguel in season, I know you caught a couple days in DH a couple days when he was there what was that like being in the same lineup as him and being able to learn from a guy like that for a few days it was awesome it was awesome i picked his brain up i started asking, asking questions and uh he's a really good guy i'm so thankful with him i appreciate what what and he and then he gave me some tips that um i put in play i put in play until last month so um, I still working with him, with him until asking questions because I want to know more about the big leagues, about the pitchers and the game. And speaking of you know working with major leaguers, you mentioned that you're in Arizona right now. Um, you know, reporting with pitchers and catchers. You've been added to the 40-man roster. 
Um, after the year you had last year, after this trip to spring training right now, you know, early days still, how close do you feel to the major leagues right now? Uh, how close do I feel to the league? I feel so close. I feel really, really close. Um, I'm working, I'm working on it. I, I came to the, uh, to the spring training with, with a goal to make the team. If I didn't make it, I, think I, w- I wouldn't mind because I know that I don't have experience in the big league. But um, I've been spending time with this pitcher, with the with the rest of the guys, the big leaguers, and I feel comfortable. I feel like at home. I feel like with my family. And um, like I say, I came with a goal to make the team. If I didn't make it, I wouldn't mind. And and after the year last year, you know, the Cubs had a lot of really good rookies last year with Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, uh, Javier Baez getting moved up, Jorge Soler. You know, the youth movement that's happening right now with the Cubs. How exciting is it to be a part of that, and how much more is that motivation for you to make it to that next level? I really, really motivate. You know, they they motivate me like like because I'm, I watch I watch the game, I watch those games, and uh, I mean I don't know how to explain how 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 much I want to be there, how much I want to help the team to to win the World Series. But I know sooner or later. Um, I'll be there helping the team and um, enjoy the time with them. Wilson, you are from Venezuela. Got to go back to Venezuela for the off season, um, and there was some news uh, for baseball fans as far as Venezuelan baseball goes. A couple of weeks ago, when uh, minor league baseball announced that the Venezuelan summer league was not going to be operating this year, um, you didn't play in the VSL. Uh, you were in the Dominican summer league uh, in your rookie season as a professional. But so many guys, so much talent has come out of the Venezuelan summer league. Um, what is the state of baseball like in Venezuela at this point? Because there's been obviously a whole range. Of, of political issues and stuff that go on outside of baseball, but to see that league closed down with still so much talent coming out of it, um, when you look at kids who are, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old coming up right now, what is the state of baseball like in Venezuela? The the baseball is, is our favorite, favorite sport to play, so and there is a lot of guys, a lot of young talent, a lot of young, young guys who want to play in the big leagues, who has uh, a goals and they want to help their family so we just think about our family to get out of Venezuela and uh we just start we just like to work hard we just like to be smart with uh with our movement but um yes in Venezuela we have like a lot of, a lot of big talent a lot of young guys and when you look forward toward a, a season like this, where you know that you've got kind of the the chance to finally make an impact in the major league level, whether it's you know middle end of this season or into 2017, how excited are you? You know the fact that that's there, and your family could get to watch you playing at Wrigley Field and playing in a, a you know Cardinals Cubs game down the road. I mean, you're so close right now. How exciting is that for everything? Uh, you know, as far as your family and friends and the people that have helped you get to this level in your career, that that's now really really close for you. I'm I'm very very happy. I'm proud of myself for what I, the change that I've been making since I started catching in 2013. And uh, like I say, I'm still working on. I'm still working hard. Um, I go every day to the field and spend the time with the pitchers, spend time with the team. I start asking, asking questions because I want to know how the games goes in the big leagues. I know and I know it's not the same to play like in the minor leagues. But um, I know that I'm so close, I know, and I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited, and uh, we show them that I can play in the big leagues. And Wilson, what's kind of your focus right now in spring training? You know, in this in the potential first couple months with Iowa or wherever you're headed, um, what are you going to be focused on to make that jump? What do, What do you think is the mo- biggest area of your game that needs the most improvement if you're going to become a major leaguer this year? In the game call, I'm just so focused to learn my pitches, to learn how they throw, how they how they like to work, and, and, get, and getting the same pitch with them. Um, like I said, we talk to, I'm been talking to them, they talk to me. So that's that's gonna be my big, uh, my big, my big uh, job, I think. Yes, uh, they start working in the same pitch with the pitchers. Especially when uh, Venezuelan guys don't know, like, really don't know the the language. But 
Um, I'm still working on it. Like like I say, uh, um, I'm faithful. I'm proud of myself, and I, I'm ready to play in the big leagues. One of the most exciting prospects in the Chicago Cubs system and comes into 2016 as the top-ranked catching prospect in all of minor league baseball from MLB.com and the number 50 overall prospect and our first Venezuelan guest on the podcast, so we're really excited about that. Wilson, thanks so much for the time, and uh, enjoy Mesa, enjoy spring training, and we'll see you at the start of the season. Thank you, Ray, very much. Thank you for your time. Heading into the final weeks uh, before minor league teams and front offices really get ready to roll for the 2016 season. And Benjamin Hill joins the show for this week's edition of Ben's Biz Banter. Howdy, Ben. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, ordinarily um, – we're good, by the way. Ordinarily, teams thank, go – Thank th- you for <laughs> confirming that you're good, Todd. <laughs> I didn't want to leave that unturned. I wanted that stone to be fully turned. I don't know. Turned, I think is what the kids say. Oh, get out of here. Turned to that stone. Um – we got we had a, a little bit of a not a rebrand but a refresh this week late it's mid February but uh, the Great Lakes Loons going into their tenth season kind of a new look not a, a total reinvention um, as it was deemed to you Ben it's not a revolution it's an evolution that's what uh, that team's vice president of marketing and entertainment said in one of those minor league baseball phrases uh, tell us about the new Great Lakes look. Yeah, I, I would like to think that this uh, officially concludes a uh, new logo unveiling season. Um, as you said, it is late. The, these were unveiled um, last Saturday, uh, February 13th, just in time for Valentine's Day. Um, yeah, I think these are pretty sharp logos. Uh, like you said, it's not a, they're not reinventing the wheel. Um, and talking to Chris Mundhenk, the, the aforementioned vice president of marketing and entertainment for the Loons, you know, he said, we're, we look at ourselves as a retro brand. Um, you know, we're not really a team to go in the direction of, uh, you know, fully irreverent or total rebrand. We like what we have. But when we had the original logo, you know, we were also building a stadium and setting up a new stadium, a uh, new team from scratch. So maybe the logo just didn't have a, as many elements and uh, variations as they like. So they refreshed the loons. Um, the emphasis is on Michigan's natural beauty. You know, there's stars and trees in the primary logo. And uh, I think one of the more interesting aspects is the off-season and uh, in-season loons logos, where in-season there's a loon alternate logo where he's wearing a fishing cap and an off-season or winter logo where he's wearing a uh, winter cap with ear flaps. So kind of nice way a to... Holden Caulfield hat. Yeah, Holden Caulfield <laughs> hat. And, um, you know, a nice way to uh, to reference Michigan's weather and to play on the outdoor theme and uh, a nice way to, I hope, uh, conclude the 2015-2016 new logo on brand or rebrand, new logo unveiling season. <sighs> Got it all out there. <laughs> Um, ben, let me ask you this. There was, that was kind of the first thing that stuck out to me was the new uh, winter and summer logos for Great Lakes, Great Lakes, which is something new. But Brandios, who has taken over the game, the design firm that really does, I mean, it feels like almost all minor league rebrands or refreshes, um, they did, uh, as has become their staple, include a logo of a loon swinging an object uh which we know has happened in basically every uh minor league rebrand or refresh that uh, brandios has done to some extent over the last handful of years it's this is a loon swinging a log teddy roosevelt and frisco swinging a baseball bat uh in inland empire they've got uh, kind of a mechanic swinging a wrench um what is the is there any discussion around i mean when you talk to teams and hear what went into the idea of a, a redesign that has become so commonplace is that something that teams sort of request from brandios now or have you heard any discussion of how just everybody has one of those now you know that's a good question i haven't explored that specifically but it is a real uh, brandios uh, trademark to have a swinging mascot or swinging primary lo- or swinging alternate logo um, i'm not sure if that's something teams request or brandios says hey that's our thing let's do it i would think like a lot of things in minor league baseball the same way that promotions catch on nationwide Teams see that, say, "Hey, we'd like that," and then it then it is done. So, um, yeah, it's an alternate logo. It's it's not a big part of their identity, but I think if you work with Brandios, chances are you're going to have a uh, bat swinging logo of some kind, in which the bat is something representative of that specific team. And uh, I kind of want to move over to your blog post now. Um, kind of working on something involving the Omaha Storm Chasers and them working what's called the Four Day Frenzy. What exactly is that? And 
Why are they doing it now? Yeah, this is something I have going on the blog this week. I have uh, front office members from the Storm Chasers providing journal updates of the four-day frenzy, which is taking place. It started on Monday, February 15th, and it's going through Thursday. It is an 84-straight-hour period in which the team will be working. Not any one person, mind you, but for the 84 straight hours, they're going to be have the stadium open. You know, at night they're kind of stuffing envelopes and getting season ticket packages ready. You know, not as much action, but doing something every day in the community at the ballpark, uh, trying to tie it into the uh, start of spring training and the excitement surrounding that. And it's just one of those only in minor league baseball things when you get your staff together and say, hey, let's work 84 hours straight. And the 84 hours specifically is a reference to Jose Martinez, a 2015 storm chaser, hitting 384 last year, a modern Pacific Coast League record. I mean, of course. I mean, and 384 hours would have seemed a little abusive. Yeah, so they went with 84, but I mean, it's such an obvious reference. You say, oh, I working 84 straight hours. That's easily... Uh, common knowledge that's because jose martinez hit 384 last year but i do you know i'm I'm having them write journal updates about this on the blog um just to kind of highlight one of those only in minor league baseball type of things can you think of any other industry in which you might work in when there's not just when there's enthusiasm for something like that like hey gang let's just stay open for 84 hours straight just because we can and let's work overnight shifts just because, and let's do a lot of fun, goofy things for 84 hours straight. Um, I think it speaks to the exhaustion, but also the joy that comes with working in minor league baseball, that you get to do these just kind of quirky things. So are they just looking for an excuse to work four days straight, essentially, and they just came up with the reason for Jose Martinez? Or once that was locked in, they're like, how can we celebrate this great will work four days straight in February? You know, I'm going to probably talk to Marty Cordero about this, the uh, Omaha Storm Chasers uh, president and general manager. And, you know, maybe this is all just part of his devious design of like, you know what, we got a lot to work, work to get done. Let's just pretend it's all part of some crazy promotional thing we're doing when really his ulterior motive is like, come on, dude, stuff some envelopes and work overnight if you got to. Ben, let's stay in the Midwest and uh, go to Bowling Green, where the Bowling Green Hot Rods, who announced a new look for this offseason, have also announced uh, a new look for July 16th, which will not be the Hot Rods. They're going to take the field as the Bowling Green Bootleggers um, to, quote, honor Kentucky's rich bourbon history, is Bowling Green. Um, Explain the impetus behind this promo. This has been one of those names that has been thrown out of minor league baseball in some variation in the uh, realms of rebranding. We've seen teams throw out, you know, when fans are voting on it, bootleggers and moonshiners and that kind of stuff. And those have never been adopted by a team, but it's kind of cool to see a team going after it, at least in a promotional sense. Uh, What has this been like uh, so far, the, the initial response for Bowling Green? Yeah, them being the Bowling Green bootleggers for a night is definitely one of the best theme nights I've seen announced for 2016 so far. And wearing these, um, you know, barrel jer- jerseys that look like barrels, you know, uh, whiskey barrels, and um, really capitalizing on that um, on that bootlegging history. I mean, you're right. I think a lot of teams flirt with having a moonshiners or bootleggers name because it would be very popular. Um, I know the West Virginia Black Bears, before they went with Black Bears, had moonshiners as one of their team name finalists. But at the end of the day, you know, you're you're still aligning your family friendly brand with you know the covert production and uh, distribution of an illegal good, and that's not generally family friendly to say like, hey, let's celebrate. Um, you know, getting drunk and doing it against the law and, uh, you know, doing things that are maybe not family friendly. So I think this is a great compromise. Let's, of course, not be the bootleggers every day of the year, but we can have one game and no one's going to flip out about that. And uh, people love whiskey all over the world, but of course, especially in Kentucky, bourbon country and uh, really unique, quirky uh, uniforms and I think they're going to have a lot of fun with this. And I think it's worth noting that in 2009, the Hot Rod's first year, they had the first what could have been night in minor league baseball history when they spent an evening as the Cave Shrimp, which was one of their team name finalists. And that was the first time a team ever did that, said, hey, let's go back to one of our team name finalists. Let's uh, see what we could have been. And they um, initiated a nationwide trend with that in 2009. And it's worth noting that Bootleggers wasn't even one of their team name finalists. So this is, in, in, in essence, 
a what could have been, what could have been night. They are now thinking of team name finalists they could have been and then adopting that for one day. I'm probably the only person in the world who notices this or the only person in the world who what I just said makes sense to. But, you know, you got to indulge yourself first. Well, so even with this idea of, you know, it's it's honoring kind of illegal alcohol, if they, if this game does really well, the merchandise does really well, is there any potential plan to make this like maybe twice a year thing, once a month thing, bootlegger Sunday, something like that, or is it just going to be a one-off? Uh, you know, I think that's very much to be determined, but we'll, we'll see what the response is. You know, I think they'd at least consider it, flirt with the idea, but at the end of the day, you know, they're not that old of a team. Hot Rods is their brand, so I, I don't see a full-time switch in, in, the, uh, in the near future, but... You know, as with any promotion, especially one with uh, related to whiskey, they're going to need proof that it works. <laughs> uh, two things to note. One off of that, uh, Ben had a phenomenal tweet about this that included six puns in one tweet, not even the full 140 characters. Quote, this rocks. I think it's neat. Still early, but I've taken a shine to it. The proof is in this shot. That was a hell of a tweet. Um, secondly, the B in this uh, in this old Bowling Green bootleggers logo looks very much like the Biloxi Shuckers B. It's just not hidden behind a, what is that, an oyster in theirs? So it's, I like it. I like it. It's like a... We like, I like that old-timey style B that's... Again, you noted a minute ago it's something that might only make sense to you. Maybe I'm the only one nerdy enough to catch that, but... Hey, but that's what this podcast is for. Exactly. you, you got to speak to the nerds, so... You can't uh, dive into the nitty-gritty. Right, so credit to the Bowling Green for uh, getting some hype going here in the... Uh, in a still kind of slow time of year, but it is ramping up. Um, you know, uh, promo schedule announcements are in my inbox every day. I'm uh, compiling and curating the best and uh, exciting to see stuff that, you know, gets us all excited for uh, the 2016 season. What do you got coming up? Anything uh, anything big other than promo schedules? Is there anything else? There's nothing else on the horizon that you know of as far as looks, rebranding, refreshes. What's the next thing getting now toward March for you? I think it's a lot of promo schedules. Um you know that's become a big part of my day is um going through all those as they arrive and uh you know making note of of the ones that are going to have attention um you know once we get close to the date it's funny because i've been seeing promotions announced where i'm kind of like oh that's going to be viral that's going to be huge but when there's no picture no one pays attention and it's kind of funny i'll tweet out stuff and get almost no response even though i know if there was a picture People be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm conveying the same information and you could just read and process it. (laughs) But I know that's not how the Internet. Not in this world. No, no. So as images, you know, pictures or it didn't happen. And as images become available, people get excited. And, uh, hey, we're really in the home stretch now. Less than less than two months. I'd say about seven weeks. Also, if if you want to have an idea for just how big of nerds we all are, last night I emailed Ben at like 10 o'clock at night because I was eBay shopping for old Denver Bears stuff, and I found a letter from the uh, Bears' former team president. This is from 1966, writing to a guy who was like the executive vice president or executive assistant to the president of the National Association of Professional Baseball Clubs, which is minor league baseball, um, asking about the previous season's promotions in Rochester. So presumably this guy had something to do uh, with Rochester. Rochester and the Denver uh, GM at that time said, do you have anything cool that we could steal? So as Ben and I were emailing this morning, like nothing changes. That was 50 years ago. And that's the exact same thing that teams do now, which is cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and Tyler, I think you're going to have to bid on that because I know it was only like 10 bucks. Yeah, it's 10 bucks and you can frame it and uh, another piece of paraphernalia in your in your collection. Just nerdy stuff all over the place. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. You can find him at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog where they are in the midst of the four-day frenzy are the Omaha Storm Chasers. You can check that out, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And until next week, Ben, enjoy the uh, picture-inclusive and non-picture-inclusive releases for 2016. Uh, We're excited to see more of it. I am excited to see more and read more and... uh That's all I got. (laughs) Hey, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Benjamin Hill with all the latest and greatest from around the world of minor league baseball on the business side. Follow him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. Uh, And a big thanks to Wilson Contreras as well for joining the show. Um, We had a tweet into both me and Sam uh, last week from John, who is one of our biggest fans and is in touch with us on Twitter and said, uh, you guys should try to talk to some of the Latin American prospects. And we 
thought that was a great idea. Wilson Contreras, our first Venezuelan prospect to join the show. Really interesting guy to hear from. My favorite moment of that interview, uh, by the way, you can follow Wilson on Twitter also. He is at uh, Wilson backwards. His Twitter handle is N-O-S-L-L-I-W-19. So it's 91 Wilson backwards. Um, But, Sam, when you asked him, what are you working on? What's your focus? And immediately he said game calling. Like not a second's hesitation. Right. And we joked after he hung up that the fact that he answered so quickly, it was almost like he was reading his own scouting report. Yes. Because anything you read on him is that that's what he needs to work on. He showed plenty with the bat last year. Um, Just really needs to show that game calling, knowing what fingers to put down in what situation. So the fact that he knows that that is something he needs to work on. I'm sure that comes from the Cubs directly, but the fact that he's willing to talk about that so easily is a, is a great sign going into the spring. Really cool stuff from Wilson Contreras. And uh, if you're a Cubs fan, Kyle Schwarber, there were a lot of question marks surrounding him as a catcher. Those are not there with Wilson Contreras. So wherever you can put Kyle Schwarber in that bat, he's in your lineup. Contreras is in your lineup very soon. Chris Bryant's in your lineup. Anthony Rizzo, that team is so stacked. Uh, they're right. going to be a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, it just feels like catcher is the one like place that they don't have a plus hitter at. Right, right. They have plenty of veterans there, um, but it, they don't have such a dominant hitter. That's like the one spot that they don't have that. And Contreras just fits that almost too perfectly. It's, it's almost <laughs> not fair that they have the game's top catching prospect in the pipeline just waiting to be called up this year um, to, to fit an already great offensive roster. And it's almost like Theo really knows what he's doing. Almost. Right? Almost. Uh, so, again, you can follow Wilson Contreras on Twitter. He is at Naslu19. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a big thanks to Wilson. That's going to do it for the 46th edition of the show. You can find us on iTunes and at MILB.com slash podcast. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Uh, also, exciting for me and you, we both have spring training trips on the not-too-distant horizon. Uh, I got my ticket today. I'm going to be going down there, I think, March 8th to the 16th. I'll be going to the Cactus League, Grapefruit League on tap for you. Yeah, I'll be down there from March 5th to the 15th. So we'll probably be doing one, at least one of these podcasts. That's fantastic. From, uh, On location. Right, yeah. Hopefully you can hear the palm trees behind me <laughs> and the, uh, the cacti behind you, right? We'll listen to Sam drinking out of a, a glass that has an umbrella in it. That'll be the, <laughs> that'll be the podcast. Uh, no, that's going to be a ton of fun. Um, the spring training trips, whatever it is about spring training, as a fan and especially for those of us who get to cover it, it's so cool. It's just an entirely different level of cool. I mean, we get to talk to prospects and interview coaches, all this stuff during the season, but there's something about being on backfields, watching guys work on the stuff, and get ready for a season getting to talk to them in kind of a more relaxed atmosphere than what the season brings spring training is so much fun yeah no i'm really looking forward to it it's it's my first ever so this will be a trip for me for sure fantastic so sam will be great for league i'll be cactus league but we still got a few more episodes to get to before that so next week we will do this again for episode number 47 uh thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you then